This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks very much for joining us uh, on the Doctor's Lounge. Every Thursday morning, we bring you the conversations doctors have among themselves and with people that they trust. Uh, the Doctor's Lounge is sponsored by the Doctor Patient Care Foundation, a 501c3 dedicated to the education of doctors and patients, dedicated to the empowerment of the doctor-patient relationship. Uh, you can hear the Doctor's Lounge every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. on America's Web Radio, or you can pick us up as a podcast at any time. Uh, we get about 15,000 podcast downloads a month, and we thank you, the listener, for your support. We also ask for your financial support. Please go to www.d4pc and the word foundation, d4pcfoundation.org, and give generously. Thank you in advance for your, both your financial support and your time to listen. Um, on the program today, I have a very special guest, Don Lee. You know Don. We've had him on the show before. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, health information technology in the new age. Uh, we've been talking about this on the Doctor's Lounge for the last couple of shows, ever since a very, very unexpected election result with the uh, uh, apparent passage of Donald Trump to be the 45th president of the United States effective next month. And, uh, of course, lots of things are happening uh, all across the country, including in healthcare and including in healthcare information technology. So Don is going to help us uh, kind of sort this out today, uh, both from a regulatory level and beyond if we have the time. So, Don, thanks very much for uh, joining me on such short notice. Hey, Blanker. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Don, you're obviously much more connected to the health IT community than I am. I spend my time taking, patient, taking care of patients, and you spend your time doing the, the neat stuff in, in information technology. So what, uh, what are you hearing sort of as, as headlines, as, as gut reaction? Uh, I'd say right now the big gut reaction to it is uncertainty. Uh, nobody really knows what is going to be coming down the pipe here, and it has is unexpected, I would say, in the health IT community, uh, the way the the elections all turned out and what we're facing right now. And <clears throat> I, I think that's really it, is that no one's really sure what to expect. Uh, there's certainly an expectation of, of culture change in that we might start to see a little less control from a, a central standpoint. Um, and I think that's really being looked at as a potential positive across the industry. So that's a, that's a little bit unexpected from from what I would guess, or at least from some sectors. You know, as as I was thinking about it, and we kind of threw this around before we uh, went on the air today. But you know, I would think that some people would be indignant. I mean, I know there are some people in health IT who feel like these regulations were a great thing. That that no matter how good IT products got, doctors were going to be too afraid and never would have bought them until meaningful use came along and sort of pushed things over critical mass. I would expect those folks to be, you know, maybe a little disappointed or even indignant that we're, we're losing regulations that we need. Uh, maybe some folks are relieved, as you're talking about, and some folks are afraid. I mean, you get do – you, do you see any sort of spectrum of emotion, or is it all pretty much that everybody is, feels positive? I think it's mostly in the middle still as there's that uncertainty that I spoke of. And, you know, to your point about uh, folks that would be uh, worried about those regulations going away and the people that benefited from them, yes. I think that 
you go back to the High Tech Act, you go back to the beginning of MU, and there were certainly a lot of people that took great advantage of it and built businesses around it, made a lot of money. And it, what they were able to accomplish probably would not have been possible without the MU legislation. So while it was certainly welcome at the time, I think that now I can't see a lot of people worrying that without MU that they're going to start losing customers. Um, it's certainly possible that if they went so far as to loosen the regulations where, let's say, doctors really didn't have to have EMRs, that some people would stop using it for sure. I mean, you hear you you, you hear uh, great dissatisfaction with the, uh, the the need to do that to run the business now and run the practices now. But I don't think that would be really widespread. I think that effectively from getting EMRs out into the healthcare industry, MU and all of the related programs have been successful in that right. And I, 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 I just don't see them as being needed anymore to sustain that. I, I agree. I agree, Don. And, and you know, in, in some ways, you know, it's it's a moot point now because it's in the past. But if you look at the surveys and things that have come out from, you know, Mayo Clinic and other places, uh, even in, in calendar year 2016, that look at the rate of physician burnout, the relationship of physician burnout to EMR use, and there is a positive correlation. If your EMR uses, uh, you know, computerized physician order entry, your burnout rate's 29% higher than it would be otherwise. And you look at some of the older studies that, you know, show a physician unhappiness rate or dissatisfaction rate of about two-thirds or 66, 67 percent, in the same breath, in the same surveys, you will see almost unanimous agreement that no one would go back to paper, which speaks exactly of what you're talking about. And, and But I think for the discussion to go forward, I think I would go exactly where I think you're going, Don, which is, look, we can – we can waste a lot of time talking about whether or not meaningful use was necessary in the first place. Personally, I think it was a bad thing. I think it's put us in a situation that creates more problems than it solves. But it, in a sense, I almost don't care anymore about that because it's done. You know, we're not going back. Nobody's going back to paper, quite honestly. And so, yes, the you know, IT vendors will continue to get their annual licensing fees and, and all of the consultants and all of the the, uh, the baggage that has to hang on the sides. Maybe it'll get trimmed down because the regulatory compliance will hopefully get less. But I totally agree. I, I think no one's going to drop their EMRs. Very few people, if any, will go back to paper. It's just a matter of redirecting, hopefully, um, the efforts and, and, and just like we were talking before about some of the vendors, and, and I'll let you talk about this, but there are vendors out there that, that I think will be relieved as well. Yeah, I would hope so. And this, this came up on the, the HC Biz show that I do this past week. We were talking about uh, basically the same topic of what is the reaction out there. And when you think about it from uh, both the physician standpoint and the IT vendor standpoint, over the last couple of years, that's one of the biggest complaints you've been hearing is that we can't do the things that we really want to do because we're spending all of our time and resources on these things that we actually have to do. And from an MU perspective and the, and the requirements perspective, a lot of people don't necessarily agree with the things that are in there that they're being required to do. So, you know, the, the, the sentiment is I'm having everything tied up and doing these things that neither side, the physicians nor the health IT vendors, really see a ton of value in So we're doing them in a way where we're just 
checking boxes to make sure we get through and we're not getting to focus on the things that we want to focus on. So that being the case, what my hope is, and I'll be really disappointed if this is not what we see, is if there is a move away from this centralization and there's a move away from heavy regulation and telling everybody exactly how they have to do the things they have to do, it, it creates a point of put up or shut up, really, for both sides. It's that, okay, you, you've been complaining about this for years. If it lessens or goes away, you're now getting exactly what you want to do. What are you going to do with it? You know, what is health IT going to do to put better tools in the hands of doctors? And how are doctors going to receive that? How are doctors going to take advantage of it? Uh, you know, that, that's what I'm going to be looking at over the next couple of years, hoping to see that open up. I agree, and, and, and I, I hope for for exactly the same thing. And, and so it, there, there's going to need to be, and I'm going to try and work on this from my end of the universe, is a renewed call for physicians to actually become engaged beyond just complaining about what's coming down the pike. And, uh, and hopefully this meeting in Atlanta coming up in a couple of days, the Health IT Leadership Summit, which will be December 7th uh, at the Cobb Galleria in the Atlanta area, uh, is to sort of open that dialogue because the emphasis of that meeting will be on, uh, by sheer luck of the draw, right, because this was planned months ago, uh, but the emphasis has been is going to be on provider involvement and there's going to be a provider panel, on which I have the privilege of being, and uh, and hopefully we start to, to open that dialogue and say, look, now we have the chance. Um, let's not blow it because if, you know, if, if we don't, you know, we blew it the first time physicians did before meaningful use came along at all by not picking up the ball and running with it. Now, you know, comes another chance in the decade following. Um, I think we need to do better than we did last time. Yeah, I agree. And, and it makes sense how it played out because it all came down so fast. And it makes sense to me that the physician community wouldn't have been ready to do that 10 years ago or understand the importance of doing that 10 years ago. Uh, the other thing that I want to say is from your, the, the point of patient or uh, I'm sorry, provider dissatisfaction. Um, you know, we've talked about those studies together a couple of times. And the one thing that really always jumped out to me on those is the, uh, the question about how likely are you to recommend uh, a relative get into the business and the numbers there were, you know, same as what you said. It was like two-thirds of them was like, no, absolutely not. I wouldn't recommend my son or my daughter going into medical school because I don't like where this is going. And that, to me, has never just been a product of, of the health IT stuff coming down that, that, that you all have had to deal with. But it's really the whole change. It, the, you know, the, the so-called move-to-value-based care along with the health IT stuff. And I think that that dynamic, I mean, basically from my perspective, a lot has changed from, in your world, a lot, just a lot has changed. You got to deal with a lot of different things. And the health IT regulations then forcing us to continue to deliver tools that almost dig that hole deeper has been the issue. And if we can Stop digging that hole. That I think what's important for health IT vendors now is to say, okay, what can we do? Uh, how can we innovate? How can we use our knowledge and expertise to deliver the tools in such a way that we can lessen the burdens of the other half of this equation, that value-based care move, the, all the other regulations that are not necessarily uh, health IT regulations, but how can we 
help those if we're not being told exactly what to do on everything else. Exactly. I, I couldn't have said it better myself, Don. That was perfect. And I, and I think that uh, closely married to exactly what you're saying is that physicians need to take over the value concept. Uh, you know, we have to be careful how we discuss this because if if we do nothing but vent our frustration over how the volume to value question was handled, we're likely to have folks misunderstand that somehow physicians are opposed to the concept of value. And nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, we do things much better now than we did when I left training and started practice 20 years ago. So we have to be careful. I think what we need to do is, is, is take on the value concept and redefine it so that physicians and then hopefully health IT working with physicians kind of leads the way and you know gets the government kind of out of that equation and lets us handle that because I think you know the, the, our two fields working together um, can do that the best. We're at the end of the segment, Don. We'll come back in a second. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on The Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchek, with special guest Don Lee, uh, the the uh, author. I don't know what to call you, author, mentor, host of HC Biz. Um, why don't you, you know what? Let's, why don't you tell us a little bit about HC Biz? I need to give you a chance to sort of talk about that and give it a little bit of a plug before we move on. Yeah, thanks for that. I appreciate it. So HC Biz, it's uh, short for the business of healthcare, and the idea there was to. Start a community that lives kind of on Twitter, kind of on what used to be Blab, but it's these uh, online four-way video conversation, almost like a video podcast. And we wanted to have conversations that were centered around not just talking about, like, the things that were fun to talk about and the, the hype around AI and IBM Watson and, you know, the things that were cool that might possibly someday have an impact on the business of healthcare. But to talk about the things that were real and were happening right now, and our goal is always to send away our listeners, uh, be they physicians, be they IT vendors or startups, whoever they are, to send them away with some real actionable information about what the topic is. So we 
focused, uh, we focused a lot on policy. We've talked about macro a bunch. Um, Mike, you've been on the show quite a few times, actually, talking about macro and other policy issues. And we'll talk about um, new technologies or patient-generated health data or things that uh, we can take apart and show how they're being used today and what you need to know about them, how you can take advantage of them, or if it's a risk, what can you do right now to mitigate that risk for yourself and your business? And, you know, again, business could be a practice. It could be a startup. It could be an IT shop, whatever it happens to be. Um, we've done about 35 shows this year and had awesome. great guests on there. Yeah, we've had guests on from, um, you know, a whole bunch of different startups. We've had Brookings Institute on a couple of times. We've had Dave Chase, uh, who's doing the big heist movie right now. We've had, you know, just we've run the gamut of guests and really met some interesting people and, and hopefully delivered some pretty useful information to folks over the last year. So how do folks subscribe to this or connect to it or, or, or figure out a way to have it pushed to their mobile device so they don't, they're prompted to listen in? I assume you're doing once a week or maybe more often because that's a lot of shows. We've done them weekly uh, pretty consistently throughout the year. There's been a few gaps uh, where it's spread out, but we started right around HIMSS last year. So that was February or, Mar- February or March we started. And, yeah, it's been about weekly. And we don't uh, put it up on iTunes or anything like that as an actual podcast, so it can't push that way. But you can visit our site, which is thehcbiz.com, so T-H-E-H-C-B-I-Z.com. And uh, that will basically get you connected to our YouTube channel, all of the archives, all the articles about the shows that we've done. Uh, And then certainly you can subscribe to the YouTube channel um, once you get to it from there, and then that would be the closest thing to a push i would say and is is there uh notices on the website to to let folks know when you can listen in live because you guys are doing what like wednesdays at lunch i think or something roughly right? yeah we yes yeah, it's, it's usually every wednesday from 12 to 1 eastern okay. and there is almost always a blog post a few days ahead of that that will tell you what's coming who's going to be on the show what the topic is and then kind of break down what we know about the topic so far ahead of the show to prep you. Um, and then other, otherwise we're doing a lot of, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn kind of notifications out of that. Gotcha. And, and, you know, one thing that that's always, that's confused me a little bit with it is the, the changing technology platforms that you guys have been forced to use, right? You started with Twitter yeah. blab and about the time I got that figured out, it disappeared. And now you're on something called fire talk. Yes, that's right. So, yeah, Blab was a startup that lasted about a year. They had uh, one of those no-we-don't-make-money business models going on, and they uh-huh. had no like no semblance of ever getting to one. And the economics behind running something like that where you're streaming four videos remotely and then providing recordings and getting up on the web and you have all those other viewers, like the economics behind that are, 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 are pretty beefy. That's, that's, that you need a lot of resources to make that work well. And they were doing it seemingly all just on investor money. They eventually shut it down. Uh, we tried out YouTube Live through uh, Google Hangouts for a while. Uh, that was just not a great framework for an engaging community. It was like everybody was kind of held apart from one another, if you will, and there wasn't like a good way to have chats going on and everything else. Uh, Fire Talk is basically the same layout and platform as Blab had. And what's nice about it is 
everybody's on screen at once that's participating in the show. Anybody else could join in and take part in the conversation uh, throughout if, if it makes sense to. And there's, it's, it's really easy to see who's there, so you get that sense of community. You, you, when you log in, you're connecting with like your Twitter account or your Gmail account, so you see little pictures of everybody and their names, and they start to have conversations in the sidebar. And it just makes for a really engaging live conversation around these things. And what we're able to do then is, uh, like this past week, we had Nia Muragi on, who's a fellow at the Brookings Institute, uh, with Shahid Shah, my co-host, and I. And we're having a conversation around this whole Trump care, what's going on, what's coming. And we're able to respond live during the show to the questions that are coming in on the sidebar. So it's a really engaging platform. It's a lot of fun. Sounds good. We'll, we'll, we'll just continue to, to collaborate under under both formats. Uh, so let's circle back. So we we're talking about the, the changes in the health IT community, uh, the uncertainty, and, and some of the the attitudes that are coming out now that the political climate has changed so much. And one thing that struck me is that uh, you know from the health IT community, the um, the response appears to be based on what we've been talking about is more positive than one might expect. Uh, I thought when this, you know, with the threat of all these changes coming down, we'd see a lot of very organized, unified resistance among what I call the competitive stakeholders in healthcare. Uh, but maybe that's not happening. We talked about uh, health IT and, 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 a, and a positive component to that response, and it turns out that even among hospitals, where I personally expected, and it sounds like maybe I'm wrong, expected a, uh, a negative response to this, that uh, a letter came out uh, dated November 30th from the American Hospital Association uh, addressed to Donald Trump with their wish list of policy changes that they would like to see a Trump administration implement. And topping that list was the cancellation of stage three meaningful use along with a lot of other things. That surprised me. What do you think, Don? Uh, I, I was not surprised at all by it, to be honest with you. I think that and again, from both sides to the earlier comments in the first segment, is that everybody's just sick of being told what to do and how to do it. And it, if the opportunity, you know, the opportunity is presenting itself now for the, for us to, to all speak out together and say, just stop it, just let us let us roll with what we've got right now, let us figure the, figure out what we've put in place so far. And you know, we've been chasing regulations now since 2009, 2010. And it's, it's, it's just time. It's time for a pause on all of the regulations. It's time to see who can survive and who can provide good products without all of this guidance and without all of the funding that has been behind it over all these years. And, uh, again, from a, from a health IT perspective, what I would say is when you hear an EMR vendor or a health IT vendor in any regard, complaining about these regulations going away because it's going to hurt their business in some way. Those are the ones we want to die. Those are those ah, like, if, yeah. So if, 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 if you, if as a business, you need that kind of forced government, uh, forced customer pipeline into your product, you, you, you don't have the stuff. We want you to go away. And I think that's the hope is that if we can start to decentralize uh, decontrol a little bit, if you will, the the way that health IT is delivered, that the best vendors are going to produce the best products that meet the needs of the physicians and the others in the, in the market, and they're going to do better, 
and the ones that have been surviving just because they've been checking boxes and meeting regulations and having a, having a good sales pitch, they're going to go away, and then the whole market's going to going to perform better. Your mouth to God's ears, my friend. It, 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 the, the remainder of the letter would support your position on that because there's, there's, they've, they've got a long laundry list of things here. But following cancellation of Stage 3, uh, they also say things like streamline, prioritize, and simplify quality reporting. And you were talking about yeah. that in the last segment. Streamline, prioritize, simplify quality reporting to identify and focus on meaningful – God, I can't even say that word anymore – meaningful and valid <laughs> measures that matter. Uh, modify the current readmissions policy to include a sociodemographic adjustment. I think they're referring there to the 30-day readmission rule. I think they're saying let's do away with that because there's so much gaming, I think, that goes on around that particular rule that it, it ends up being another version of exactly what you're talking about. Um, right. Now, they also yeah. go in here and say about advanced health information technology by supporting the adoption of intraoperable EHRs, um, which raises a good question to discuss. I mean, where do you think everyone is on interoperability, and do you think that the recent political change has any impact on that particular question? And to be fair, I haven't prompted Don on this. We haven't talked about this one in advance, so I'm putting him on the spot. Uh, what do you think about the interoperability question? Uh, my positions on interoperability are pretty complicated, especially for somebody on my side from the from health IT. And I think that, like anything else, that if interoperability I'm probably going to get in trouble for this. If interoperability was as important as everybody makes it out to be, it would already be done. And when I talk to doctors and I say, if you had ubiquitous interoperability, how much would it impact your practice? And the answer is always, I'm not sure, probably not very much. And there's, I mean, there's huge benefits to it. Don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of like the regional HIEs. Uh, that's, uh, I do a lot of work in that space. I think it's awesome if you can, uh, reduce duplicate tests. I think it's awesome if you can get information about the history of a patient into the hands of the doctor when they need it. I'm not saying it's not valuable. But I'm questioning if it's as valuable as the amount of conversation we have around it would suggest that it is. And I think that if the incoming administration, the Republican Congress, does anything to try to force interop, I think it's going to just be a replay of what we've just done. You can't force this to happen by saying, you have to be able to do these things, or even you know the, the the big buzzword for the last year or two has been fire. If we just tell everyone they have to have a fire API, that uh, fast healthcare inter interoperability resources. Yeah. If we force everybody to have a fire interface, that will create some good, but that doesn't solve interoperability. The the we don't need new technology to be able to move data from one system to another. We need reimbursement alignment to make that worthwhile. We need use cases, very specific use cases, that require that to be done. And if you have funding and if you have need and you have understandable uh, understandable use cases that fit into workflows, this stuff's going to happen. So I'm not sure I'm not sure anybody in government can 
can come up with a way to to, to facilitate that other than appropriately re- aligning the, the reimbursement model. Well, Don, you're not going to get in any trouble around these parts for talking that way. I, it, that's that's exactly how we feel on the doctor side of the equation is that forcing this stuff doesn't work and that, uh, you know, yes, interoperability is not the lowest hanging fruit. Um, we're already almost a minute over, so I'm going to cut it off. Um, you are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks very much for staying with us through segment three. Uh, in the first two segments, we had uh, Don Lee from HD Biz talking about changes in the political climate as a result of a very unexpected electoral outcome. And with me for the next segment is Dr. Randall Oates. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Soapware. So Dr. Oates is uniquely qualified to talk about this because he is both the CEO and founder of one of the major EMR vendors out there. And uh, you saw folks in a family practice yourself for over 20 years, right? That's correct. And, and uh, uh, still I'm in a lot of practices and try to keep my my foot in the trenches, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, thank you very much for for letting me share my opinions on this. I think this is a very exciting time yeah. in the industry. Certainly. So, yeah. uh, so you know, you see it on both sides of of the fence the 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 physician side and the EMR vendor side. So, uh, with everything going on, um, tell us what you're seeing. Well, I'm uh, I'm seeing that there's uh, right now a lot of uh, confusion. Uh, I, I, to the point of uh, disorientation, it would seem. You know, it, uh, it, you, you, on the one side, you've got the medical ruling class. You know, the the IT vendors and the in in the, the third party payer system. Everyone busily convincing each other that macro is going to stay intact. You know, the ACA may be amended to go away, but the ACA they met that macro is intact and. And so you've got the ruling class busy convincing each other this that it's, hey, just toe the line, keep it steady. And then you've got everyone else wondering, are campaign promises going to be kept or not? So it's going to be real interesting. And uh, I, I would say that, uh, that the chance that we won't see major 
provisions and and requirements, uh, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's just inevitable. I would and think I, so. I, I'm very excited about that. I'm I'm more excited than I've been in eight years for sure. That maybe we can get get uh, more toward innovation rather than uh, having to be in compliance as, as an EMR vendor, which I primarily am now. You know, tools to really help. You know, IT health information technology should be about uh, improving care, about promoting uh, what's in the benefit of the patients, not about uh, promoting good documentation, and that's really what it's turned into. And uh, uh, that's just not been a whole lot of fun the last eight years. No, agreed. And 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 we see it, uh, you know, on the on the physician side as well. As I, I know, you understand that uh, these products are wonderful charge capture devices. They're wonderful data gathering devices because they were built with those needs in mind. Um, but the idea that uh, that we as physicians have certain needs in order to serve our patients, uh, since obviously it's the patients what it's all about, that these systems are woefully inadequate along those lines. And hopefully with this change of climate, uh, we'll hopefully unload that regulatory burden and free up a little bit of bandwidth. Uh, so that, that that vendors like you can work with EMR customers like me, and and begin to build these products and, and point them in the right direction. I, I could not be more excited about the possibility of doing that. You know, the 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 real need is is, is to if we really want to promote higher quality, lower cost, healthier populations. You know, we we got to be about. Uh, delivering what individuals need, patients and health professionals need, you know, the right information at the right time. And, uh, you know, that involves flexibility and and a focus on patients, not on the process. You know, health IT has had to focus on developing tools to to satisfy process, not patients. And like I said, to in order to create good documentation rather than good patient outcomes and and that has resulted in the opposite of, of what has intended you know it's it's raising cost it's lowering satisfaction it's lowering quality of care the very opposite of what we need and uh so i'm uh, I, I really see the change in tone that there's the real possibility that we can have some flexibility to be innovative and shift the focus back to patients over process and documentation. Uh, Don and I were talking in the earlier segments about um, the concept of interoperability, and to to, to give everybody a, 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 a cue here, I, I didn't have a chance to uh, to give Dr. Oates a chance to think about this question, so I'm catching him off guard. Uh, but we were talking about what's going to happen to the concept of interoperability, because the focus to this point has been on interoperability at 50,000 feet, you know, so Kaiser can talk to Intermountain, who can talk to Yale, who can talk to Hopkins, who can talk to MD Anderson, and that's all well and good. Um, in my opinion, that doesn't really serve the needs of the doctors and the folks that help them in the trenches of, of, uh, of the front lines of healthcare. But in the rhetoric that is out there, there are still a lot of people paying lip service to interoperability as something that needs to be preserved. Um, what do you think of the interoperability concept, and how do you think it's going to 
have to adapt to the new political climate? Now, we, we should start simple and build from there rather than, you know, try to create these this mass amount of structured data that ends up being garbage between systems. And whenever you produce it, it it's basically many pages of what I would call computer vomit. We need to focus first on let's connect the, the narrative. That is what clinicians and patients really want at the point of care. Let's get that satisfied first. That shouldn't be that difficult. And then from there, do like they did. And, and you know, the nations have had success in our operability. Like I was in Denmark a few years ago, and they focused on just a very few core elements that really uh, indicated uh, uh, that were of value to patients, that indicated good outcomes, and, and, and started with a very simple data set uh, with a very simple HTML structure and, and exchanged that and, and built from that. And we should do the same this nation rather than come up with this hum, you know, humongous, gigantic, complex set of uh, criteria that ends up not being useful to anyone. So, uh, you know, that, you know it, it, in the real world, interoperability is PDFs of narratives. That's what is actually useful at the point of care. And, uh, but you can't even get that out of most systems without, you know, it's, it's ends up being a fax. That's and, right. You know, and, you know, let's start by just getting rid of the facts and get the narratives around. And then from there, let's agree on what are the what are the basic things that would bring the most value and build, and do this incrementally in a way that really brings value from the perspective of the patient and the and their clinicians, you know, the patient's care team, rather than you know some you know the the, the real concern I have is you know a lot of this data that's supposedly to be of great value, it's not really perceived to be of value at the point of care. Uh, by the patient and their their health professionals, it's a value uh, to others who are in some way wanting to shift dollars around, and 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 they can use data components as a part of that. You know, the medical record should be a tool that serves as a as a uh, a means of uh, giving connection, communication, information to individuals. It shouldn't be a tool used to manage codes to shift dollars around, which is what I see a lot of the, the uh, uh, what has come about as far as regulations and requirements in the last few years. That's really what it amounts to. Agreed. And, and you, you touched on three very important concepts there. I think the first is the concept of the physician narrative um, because you're right, in all of the sea of, of granular data, that you know began with an obsession that's built into you know our our coding requirements our evaluation and management coding requirements that in order for us to legally bill for our services there has to be all of this granular data in the note and as a result it becomes harder to find you know what did you think Right, the physician right. narrative. Here's this patient. We learned how to present patients to each other in medical school, and the most important part was how did you synthesize all of this data into something that was um, that was something that was relevant that you could sink your teeth into and understand what's wrong with the patient. The second thing you talked about was building from from a small kernel and building slowly as you gain experience 
and you gain wisdom. And uh, that's something that, that meaningful use just totally threw out the window. I mean, other industries had 50 years. You know, banking had 50 years to bring itself right. from its first computer to online banking services. Healthcare, which is far more complex, we got five tops. Right, exactly. So, you know, couldn't and, agree more. You know, and then, um, you know, the the third concept is to just allow you know folks to 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 pick and choose what they want, as opposed to you know regulation forcing this onto us with a vision. Um, you know, the biggest example is quality, and I think you touched on that a moment ago, which is that you know why are we why are we letting non caregivers define for us what quality is? I mean, you know, that's what's happened now. All of a sudden, we have a, right. a situation where the you know, the, we're now, you know, servicing the, the, the God, you know, worshiping at the altar of, of the medical record as opposed to the patient. Yeah, you know, what's, what's sad and unfortunate, I mean, the whole intent of uh, uh, we should do clinical quality measures is our own process of, of continuous quality improvement. But whenever you try to, to develop a system where you use computer-based uh, so-called quality measures uh, to reward or to measure the value of a practice, the, the, the number of unintended adverse consequences is such that you actually end up lowering the quality of care. I mean, the data is becoming increasingly overwhelming that when you have a focus on, on, the, on computer-based uh, uh, generation of uh, evidence of quality, such as you know, electronic clinical quality measures, you end up with a worse outcome. And exactly. for that reason alone, I see you know the the, the core of macro is uh, is doomed to not be very successful. Oh, agreed. Because it's you know we're too busy checking boxes and and satisfying requirements, and you know patients get tired of seeing their doctor's face buried in a in a laptop screen, uh, as opposed to looking at them. So. Um, and what are the, the spectrum of responses that you're seeing um, in, in, world, in your world? Are you seeing anybody who is defending these quality measures as something that we need to keep because they do some good? Nobody that is uh, – I've seen no one that's actually in the real world of taking care of patients or patients themselves who think that uh, this is a good idea. I mean, I mean everyone – uh, wants there to be accountability, but the accountability is, doesn't have to be that complicated. I mean, such so as can I have access? Can I get the the information and the and, and the assistance I need when I need it? Uh, you know, I think access is a very uh, uh, reasonable measure of of, of quality. Uh, patient confidence. You know, you know how confident is a patient? That they understand and can act upon the the information, the directives that they're given. You know, we don't have to make this that complicated. You know, those are those are the kinds of things that people want to have some kind of assessment on. You know, can I can I get in? Can I will I have confidence in, in in the care that I'm delivered? You know, not how many of their patients have had this or that performance metric completed in a uh, in an annualized fashion. I mean, that's that's pretty mean, meaningless to everyone except, like I said, people who are wanting to justify the shifting around of dollars based on some 
data computer generated report, which is just it's just the day of, of that being a, a reasonable approach to reform is just it hopefully it's coming to an end. Well, we've reached the end of the segment, Dr. Oates. Um, we'll be back shortly. You've been listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchek. Thanks very much for sticking with us all the way through segment four and listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Uh, In the last three segments, uh, you heard uh, my two guests, uh, Randall Oates and Don Lee, uh, talk about uh, some of the things that they are seeing in the information technology community uh, regarding the, the change that's coming up regarding the level of uncertainty that's coming up. And, and I think they had some very interesting things to say. I think Don put it very well when he said in, in, in didn't mince words um, that, look, the time has come for the health information technology sector to get out from underneath regulations that create artificial demand. And uh, he said it quite clearly, and I love the way he put it. He said, look, if you need a law – to maintain the demand for your product. If your product is that bad, you need to pack it up and go home. Uh, you got to come up with something better to do because this is this is not the kind of thing that we want to see in health IT. I thought that was great. Uh, he said some other things that were equally as uh, strong. And uh, and we heard um, Dr. Oates, uh, who is both a physician and the CEO of his software company, Soapware, who, by the way, makes a direct primary care variant of their product called Soapware DPC uh, for doctors doing primary care, uh, and, and saying that, that he suspects uh, that there is uh, perhaps a, a difference in the health IT and medical ruling class uh, versus the rest of us in terms of how we feel about potential changes in regulations, uh, that the uh, the ruling class thinks this is all status quo, nothing's going to change, everyone remain calm, the old order will persist, uh, you know, keeping the haves and the have-nots farther apart, and, uh, and, and that, the, that there was a difference, that, and that perhaps there is a populist movement, uh, my word's not his, uh, that, that perhaps the, the, the folks that are actually getting the work done every day 
as opposed to the CEOs and the CXOs sort of living at 50,000 feet have perhaps different feelings about uh, what's going on. And, uh, and and today I learned some things with what I was doing today that, that may suggest that he was right because I floated his uh, his ideas without mentioning his name, floated his ideas past an audience of about 500 people. Uh, most of those with health, were health information technology, CEOs, CXOs, CIOs, etc. Uh, I think there were a few other folks in there that were more in the working class. But uh, this was a very interesting meeting that I attended today. I was on a panel with two other physicians and uh, a reporter from USA Today, their health reporter, monitoring the panel. And, uh, and I floated this idea out there that perhaps there was more sympathy and interest in the health IT community um, than one would guess, you know, with the idea of, of getting rid of laws that, you know, do force demand for their problems and at the same time tell them how to do their job and got a little bit of muted applause from the audience. And uh, and that was kind of a, an interesting thing. I was I kind of floated that out there to see what sort of response I get. So what I'm going to try to do to, in this last segment, right, we got about nine and a half some odd minutes left to sort of combine everything that's been going on. We've got these two guests that we had, and then I have been – Extremely busy this week. I'm I'm recording this uh, late at night here before the Thursday morning broadcast, and uh, I'm doing it with no broadcast notes. I'm just winging this because uh, I have been my eyes are kind of crossed here after traveling to Washington D.C. on Sunday and being in an all, all afternoon Sunday meeting, uh, getting home in time. This is what doctors do, right? We we have to maintain our full time practice and try to fit all this stuff in for those of us who are foolish enough to try and change the world and and you know the the, the obligations at work don't go away and the need to keep those you know keep the the clinic busy and the operating room schedule full that stuff doesn't go away i can't just block out a day or block out three days and say oh, i'm going to go play with stuff uh, you know you have to maintain that you know doctors are like plumbers i've said that before and it bears repeating that uh, you know if we're not under a sink fixing a leak i guess that's more apropos for uh, dr hal shirts the urologist to be saying something like that but uh, if we're not actually doing work if we're not doing heavy lifting seeing patients or operating uh, then you know there's no money coming into the practice and there's no money to pay the fixed expenses right i mean even when i'm gone there's still an office with rent there's still staff to pay there's still malpractice insurance there's you know the administrator that we pay obviously and so you know there's no room to just say oh, i'm going to take a few days off and sort of catch up on all this stuff we have to put in a full day at work and then come and do all this neat stuff so thankfully the meeting i was just at in washington dc took place on a sunday because it was a meeting with doctors and legislators and of course all the doctors face exactly what i'm talking about and so the meeting was moved to sunday so that more doctors could come and uh, come along they did, I will say. This is a meeting uh, that's taken place every year for the past four or five years, I think. Uh, and um, you know, it is hosted by Representative uh, Pete Sessions from Texas who graciously uh, you know, uh, puts this meeting on for doctors to go to. Uh, and I've gone to a couple, three, four of these. Um, this one, I think due to Trump's recent election, uh, was distinctly different in character. First off – there was far more physicians attending. Usually this meeting is 30 or 40 docs. We had 150 easy. Uh, we completely filled the House of Representative Finance Committee hearing chamber. 
And uh, there were folks leaning against the wall, sitting in the back. They're bringing chairs in. We got people wedged in behind the projector screens, behind the speakers. Got folks everywhere. And uh, the electricity was palpable uh, because we've been living, we docs, you know, under eight years of, uh, I don't want, you want to call it siege, exile, Something like that, you know. Concerned physicians who have a who have a sympathy for the doctor-patient relationship uh, have, under the current administration, had absolutely no daylight whatsoever, uh, and only you know one wave of bad news after another with Obamacare and ICD-10 and meaningful use and MACRA. Uh, it seems like we're always under siege or under some sort of you know hostile force. And now, uh, as we uh, said. Uh, or we're going to say in a show that's coming up over the holidays, we've already reported, you know, if you're, if you notice that your physician has a little more spring in his or her step or a little bigger smile on his or her face, this is why. Uh, because perhaps uh, with the election of someone other than Hillary Clinton, note how I said that, uh, that uh, – that there is a break in the clouds. And so we're very excited to see what Trump can do. We're very excited to see that he has uh, nominated Tom Price as the Secretary of Health and Human Services and Seema Verma to head CMS. And uh, and so um, we're, we're all very excited to see that. And so the room was was electric uh, and, and, and there was lots and lots of stuff going on. This was actually, uh, you know, a six-hour – a barroom brawl, if you will. Um, there were four legislators there. There were 150 physicians there, uh, and lots and lots of healthy, spirited debate regarding number one: what should we do about macro? You know, what does repeal and replacement look like? Is repeal and replacement actually practical? Uh, and, and lots of disagreement on that, as you might imagine. Uh, and then the same sorts of questions regarding macro. Uh, some folks thought that, well, gosh. Macra passed the Senate, I think, 92 to 8. I mean, this was, you know, as the supporters like to say, a bill with strong bipartisan support. Uh, and, and that's when I pushed a little button on my microphone and said, well, fine, it was bipartisan only because people were dying to get rid of SGR. The Congress was dying to get rid of it so badly that they would have voted for anything that had a repeal of SGR in it. And, and so they didn't read the rest of the bill. Uh, and, and that comment got a fair amount of traction. I think there's a lot of agreement among the docs about that. But I, and I, I still feel that way. I don't think Macro's bulletproof. Uh, I think that we should aim for a full repeal. Uh, and, and gosh, uh, you know, if not now, when with with you know the White House uh, under friendly hands and uh, the Republicans in control of both houses of Congress, I don't. I, if you don't do it now, when exactly are you going to do it? Uh, and a macro can be repealed. I think it's going to take a lot of discipline, uh, and I think it's going to take a, a sense of urgency because I think the longer that we leave that rule in place, uh, the harder it is going to be. To, uh, to repeal it and pass legislation to replace it. So I think we need to get on that, uh, you know, that, that task very quickly. Uh, but I don't know that we can fully succeed unless, uh, unless the messaging is good. Uh, and I think this is a good time for physicians to take over the um, quality message. Right now, the government owns the quality message. They've owned the quality message since 2006 when they came out with the PQRS program and basically said that no quality comes from anywhere unless it comes from us, the government. And that's wrong. We can take over this quality initiative. Medical specialties are already doing this. In, our own, in my own specialty of otolaryngology, we have a program called Regent where we will be reporting to ourselves and each other 
in a centrally kept registry for a minimal fee per year of about $300, which I think is a good deal. Uh, and I'm hoping I get one of the uh, architects of the registry uh, – of Regent. I'm sorry. It's called Regent. Uh, one of the architects of Regent uh, on this program to uh, so that she can give us uh, a full breakdown of how that's going to look. But I think unless doctors take over the quality narrative at the same time – that we move to replace macro, we may have a public relations problem that's going to make that a whole lot harder than it should be. So we'll see, you know, whether we can succeed with that or not. I'm confident we can. You know, the ACA is a bit more complicated than macro um, because, you know, if we pull ACA out, you know, there there will be some large institutions that have already invested in it, but you know, we could conceivably sunset the. Uh, incentives while we immediately shut down the penalties. You know, on the ACA side, we've got a lot more infrastructure dependent on the ACA's existence. We have 20 million people who are on ACA plans through the exchange, and, and of course, there's things you need to do. Uh, there were some good suggestions made at the meeting that perhaps you let everybody keep their Obamacare plan for six months while we work on finding a replacement. Um, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know exactly how to make that sausage, as the saying goes. Um, you know, I think I am smart enough, like everybody else that was at this meeting, to know that, I, that we should not uh, settle uh, for anything that's, that's, that's less than that because we certainly have the, the political climate to – you know, the political clout at the moment to make just about anything happen that we want. Contrast that with the meeting that I went to today, which was called the Health IT Leadership Summit. This was all these CEOs and CXOs that are in high positions in health IT companies in Atlanta and the surrounding southeast, and uh, you don't get a sense that they're very aware. The um, The meeting opened with a keynote address from Andy Slavitt, and I will um, take this opportunity to thank him once again uh, publicly for everything that he has done for me this year. You remember, and I won't drag the story out, that this started off with a letter that I wrote in February, culminated with having him on the show as a guest in June. And then, you know, this thing here where we got him as a keynote speaker for this meeting is kind of the last thing that was a, a part of that relationship. So um, I, I think maybe we'll just, you know, close in the last 20 seconds before, you know, future shows move on to much more aggressive uh, sort of things, talking about how we're going to make changes, hopefully in 2017. Uh, just to thank Andy and say, look, you know, I, I think he's a class act. Uh, I think he's brought uh, accountability and class to a place that uh, uh, often you don't see those things. So we are at the end of the hour. You have been listening to the Doctors Lounge on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio dot com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.